patterns of manhood. I'm going to be talking in this episode about a work by Faulkner, and so it's probably best to start with a word of encouragement. Faulkner has a reputation for being a very challenging author, and deservedly so. Uh, His novels oftentimes employ styles that are eccentric or ornate and require considerable work on the, on the part of the reader to kind of grasp what it is that, that, that Faulkner's doing. He's actually a kind of protean stylist, and depending on which work you, you read, you find him doing different sorts of things uh, and presenting different kinds of challenges. So for instance, in Absalom, Absalom, it's the, the long, the excessively long cumulative syntax that, that he employs that, that requires the reader to kind of go back and, and read a sentence two or three times uh, to, to, to make sense of it. In uh, a work like The Sound and the Fury, it's the, uh, the stream of consciousness approach that he employs, which, which creates uh, all kinds of interpretive challenges for the reader. So whatever work by, by Faulkner you, uh, you pick up, you're bound to encounter some kinds of challenges, but they're, they're not all the same. The Bear, which is the story that I want to read here, um, does present some similar challenges. Uh, Faulkner does engage in some of his um, customary stylistic uh, experimentation and panache. Uh, there are sentences um, which are quite lush, I would, I would describe them um, in their, their construction. For a reader like me, that's actually a, a selling point. This is one of the things I, uh, I find appealing about Faulkner. Uh, and I, 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 in fact, love to, to go back and pour over uh, his sentences two or three times to, to really appreciate not only their, their significance, but their sound and their, their construction. But there, there's no question that there's, uh, there's a challenge that comes with it. Nonetheless, in the bear, I would say those um, kind of stylistic effects are more restrained than in his other works and uh, render the story quite, quite accessible. All of this is, is by way of, uh, of saying that if anything which I, I say about the story here sounds interesting to you. I would I would certainly encourage you to pick up the story and, and read it on your own. And I think you'll find it uh, quite readily comprehensible. Now the story the story of the bear centers not surprisingly around the bear, uh, specifically a kind of almost legendary bear named Old Ben who haunts the woods of Mississippi and uh, makes kind of yearly appearances, uh, knocking over chicken coops and chasing. Uh, uh, trotting down gardens and 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 generally causing uh, all sorts of minor mayhem uh, on the outskirts of of civilization and the, the so the story centers around this bear and the hunt this kind of yearly hunt uh, that takes place almost with kind of knowing futility uh, to try to catch old Ben year after year they they chase him down sometimes they actually manage to to find him and and uh, lodge a few bullets in his his hide which does nothing to to slow him down and and he goes on his way and the, the hunters go on their way and and then um you know they return to do it the, the next year so so the story then centers around these these kind of annual hunts and the um the narrator who is a young man at the beginning of the story and his his kind of inauguration into the world of these hunters into the the kind of primordial primitive virtues uh, that they exert in the course of their their hunts um, and his slow but steady attainment of those virtues. Um, so in that sense, it's it's a kind of very 
typical uh, buildings Roman, right? The story of growth, the story of, particularly of, of the moral growth of the character. But as you, you might expect with Faulkner, um, it, it's it's a bit more complicated than that. So Faulkner tells us a tale of some of the most basic and, and what I want to say primordial masculine courage, masculine virtues, right? Um, those kinds of virtues that are um, almost universally associated with, with masculinity, courage for one, endurance, resourcefulness, right? So this is the way he describes the, the story that he's going to tell at the, at the beginning, right? This is how he introduces the story. He was 16. For six years now, he had been a man's hunter. For six years, he had heard the best of all talking. It was of the wilderness, the big woods, bigger and older than any recorded document. It was of the men, not white, nor black, nor red, but men, hunters, with the will and hardihood to endure, and the humility and skill to survive, and the dogs and the bear and deer juxtaposed and reliefed against it, ordered and compelled by, and within the wilderness and the ancient and unremitting contest, according to the ancient and immitigable rules, which voided all regrets and brooked no quarter. The best game of all, the best of all breathing, and forever the best of all listening. The voices quiet and weighty and deliberate for retrospection and recollection and exactitude among the concrete trophies, the racked guns and the heads and the skins. And you can certainly hear there uh, that that lushness, uh, that uh, opulence of style that, that I referred to earlier, which I, I do find to be one of the um, more excellent features of, of Faulkner's writing. And I, I mistakenly, I think I earlier mistakenly referred to the, the, the main character in the story as the narrator. He's not the narrator, but he is um, the, the main character. So you can hear right from the beginning then um, that Faulkner is trying to capture in this story the talk of the hunt, right? the sorts of stories that men tell about their feats in the course of the hunt. And it's that talking that, as, as we'll see, has, has a great deal to do with the, the significance, I think, of, of the story by the end. But right from the beginning then, it's very clear in the way he describes uh, the um, the, the sorts of skills, the sorts of uh, traits that are revealed by men in in the hunt, right? The will and hardihood to endure, and the humility and skill to survive, right? Uh, he's he's conjuring up these kind of, uh, as I said, kind of primordial masculine virtues here as the the theme of his, of his work, right? Nonetheless, this talk that he is invoking, this discourse on these kind of basic primitive virtues is being told against the backdrop of the disappearance of the world in which those virtues make sense. Throughout the story, Faulkner, the narrator, alludes to what he calls the doomed wilderness and the way it's being steadily cleared to make room for civilization. So at one point he writes, that doomed wilderness whose edges were being constantly and punily gnawed at by men with plows and axes who feared it because it was wilderness 
men myriad and nameless, even to one another in the land where the old bear had earned a name, and through which ran not even a mortal beast, but an anachronism, indomitable and invincible, out of an old dead time, a phantom, epitome and apotheosis of the old wild life, which the little puny humans swarmed and hacked at in a fury of abhorrence and fear like pygmies about the ankles of a drowsing elephant. So you do get this dichotomy that, that runs through the story. It's a dichotomy that's as, as old as uh, you know, the, the Romantic period, uh, at least, uh, between these sort of primitive masculine virtues as they appear in a sort of state of nature and a civilized order that threatens to render them useless. Going back at, at least as, as far as, as Rousseau, there is this idea that civilization and the advance of civilization threatens the vigor and the virility uh, of, of manhood and the virtues that customarily define manhood. And there is a kind of appeal to a state of nature, right, uh, as the, the, the long lost world in which those virtues thrived and survived. And Faulkner is, is conjuring something of that, uh, of that dichotomy here in this story. But again, it's, it's Faulkner. So he's, as, as to be expected, going to engage or, or going to present that dichotomy with, with a little bit more complexity. That complexity, I think, is centered in the, the person of Boog Hagenbeck, who is one of the main characters in the story. Boog is uh, a companion of the, the main character in the story. And um, he is, I, I think it's fair to say, the, the, the most distinguished of the, the hunters, certainly one of the, the, the most accomplished of the hunters. Um, and he's presented in, in the story as a kind of uh, completely natural man, right? A man almost kind of uh, just sprung yesterday out of the, the forest soil, right? If, uh, if you've read the story of Gilgamesh, there's the, um, the, the friend of Gilgamesh, Enkidu, who appears in the story as a, as a kind of, uh, almost a, a kind of wild beast. When he first appears in the story, he's out in the, the wilderness, he's, he's shaggy, he's, um, he's eating food like an animal. Um, and then eventually uh, one of the, the, the women from the temples com comes and, and civilizes him and, and prepares him for entry into uh, the, the civilized world embodied in the, the embodied in the city. Well, Boog Hagenbeck is, is presented to us kind of like that, right? Uh, as a, a, as a figure um, who is in, in many ways, just all violence and, and hardihood, right? Um, he's actually the one who uh, at, at the end of the story manages to kill old, old Ben, right? Um, and he does it in kind of the most, um, I want to say over, over the top and um, outlandishly heroic ways he, he he jumps on the back of the bear and with his knife in hand um slashes uh at his, I, I believe it's his neck um until he finds the the, the right place and, and manages to to finally um kill this bear and um you know this is this is just the 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 preeminent but not the only example of his kind of physical uh, and, and, and as I say, kind of instinctive, um, capacity for, for violence, um, his, uh, intrinsic physical strength and hardihood, right? 
nonetheless, it's clear that he's he's as 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 competent um, and as much prowess as he he displays in the hunt. He's completely out of sorts in the civilized world, right? So at one point, um, they take a, a, a train into to Memphis um, to to gather some supplies, and uh, in the course of that trip, of course, he um, Boog purchases some alcohol, gets rip roaring drunk. Um, and, and causes a scene first on the restaurant and then on the train. Right. Um, and it, it's clear he's, he's, he appears to, to everybody there in the city as, as this kind of, um, this, this figure straight out of the wilderness, right. This, this uncouth, um, hairsuit quasi animal, um, who has no business, um, trotting around the, uh, the, the the establishments of, of the civilized world. So uh, this is this is from the the scene in Memphis. In Memphis, it was not all right. It was as if the high buildings and the hard pavements, the fine carriages and the horse cars and the men in stort, starched collars and neckties made their boots and khaki look a little rougher and a little muddier. It made Boone's beard look worse and more unshaven, and his face look more and more like he should never have brought it out of the woods at all or at least out of the reach of Major Despain or McCaslin or someone who knew it and could have said, don't be afraid, he won't hurt you. So again, Boog is, is, is somebody who in, in certain ways kind of embodies this dichotomy between the, 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 the natural state of man and, the, um, and, his, and his civilized state, right? Uh, so he is and, and, and embodies that, um, that natural state. And it's kind of intrinsic antagonism with with civilization, right? So, and, and you can see this also in the um, the concluding scene of the work, right? Um, the work work concludes with with Boog um, still hunting, still kind of trying to to maintain this this way of life. He's uh, he's at the bottom of a tree hunting squirrels, right? Waiting for the, for the squirrels to come down, and he's trying to piece back together a gun, right? That he he has with him, and he he's he's clearly struggling to do this, and in fact, Boog is is confounded by his gun, right? There's there's a scene earlier in the story where he's he's right in front of Old Ben, and he's got the chance to shoot point blank at at Old Ben, and he misses him five times, right? So it, it's it's clear like he, he just he doesn't he's not good with the gun. And, um, he, you know, there he is at the end of the story trying to piece it back together. He's, he's totally bewildered how to do this. And of course, again, when he does actually kill old Ben, it's a knife that he uses. Right. So the gun, in a sense, kind of um, represents the contrivances of civilized life, uh, which which totally throw Boog for for a loop. So as Faulkner, as the narrator, um, traces the disappearance of the wilderness under the the advance of industrial civilization what's really disappearing is the world in which a man like boog fits in in which he excels in which his virtues have a kind of continuing relevance the the virtue of a man who can jump on the back of a bear and kill that bear with his knife becomes far less relevant in a world dominated by main streets and office buildings. Boog himself seems to recognize this. 
right? There's a point um, at which he insists that um, that the, the, the main character in the story um, who's trying to stay off in the woods to go hunting for a few more days, he insists that he goes back to, to school, right? And he tells him, you know, that, that, that that's, that's the future for him, right? Um, that he, he's got he's to learn in school in order to get, to get anywhere, right? He says, where in the hell do you expect to get without education? And at the end of the story, surprisingly and, and somewhat, to, to me, somewhat um, mysteriously, he becomes a town marshal, which perhaps in some way could signify his own taming, right? Um, perhaps in some way uh, represents the, the need of the um, the town burgers to uh, employ or to invoke the kind of violence that he's capable of to maintain their civilized order. You can, you can interpret it a number of different ways. Right. Well, in this story, appropriately enough, Boog's best friend is, is actually not the main character. He's not one of the, the hunters. It's a dog, a dog named Lion, who is a beast of almost preternatural ferocity. He's he's described as, um, as as more or less untamable, right? Um, in fact, the uh, the way they they kind of break him in um, is <laughs> a, a, another character named Sam Fathers um, basically starves him. He puts him in a pen, locks him in a pen, and starves him until he can't move, and then um, finally kind of goes in and gives him some some water and, and a little bit of food um, to gain his strength back. Until you know the the it's a lion. The dog starts kind of raging again, and he starves him again. Um, and it kind of he kind of repeats this process until you know the the lion realizes that he's kind of got to obey um, Sam Fathers to and, and the other the other men um, to get to get what he wants. All right, but but in a sense he's 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 not even quite tamed um, even after after that process. Um, so, so lion is, is, is recognized as the only dog who's fierce enough to take down old Ben. This is how they, they chase the, the bear. Uh, and lion, um, it, it seems to be the only, the only animal who has the, the, the necessary ferocity to get the, the job done. And in fact, he does do so, um, in the, in the culminating scene when, when Boog is, is, is thrusting his knife, um, into the neck of old Ben, it's actually, he actually jumps on the bear um because the, the bear was mauling lion right lion had, had jumped in um and was 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 fighting with him o old ben um s starts to maul him and to save him boog then that's when he he jumps on his his back um and 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 in fact um it's it's too late uh, lion is mortally wounded uh at that point and boog then carries the body of this dog off into the wilderness to bury him as he would uh a man Right. He actually says some words over his grave as he, um, as they depart. Uh, so, so Lion's death um, at that point in the story kind of symbolizes the passage from the ferocity of nature, um, or I say the passage of the, the ferocity of nature and the brutality of the woods. Right, um, all that can survive in the emerging civilized world has to be tamed to some extent, with all the good and, and ill effects of that transition. And so there's no place for a, a, a embodiment of pure kind of unadulterated violence like lion. So in, in that sense, it's, it's appropriate that, that the dog dies at that point in the story. 
it's appropriate too that Sam Fathers, who was the the figure that um, had, as I, as I said, kind of broken him in, um, that he dies at that point in the story too, having fallen off um, his horse, or I think it might have actually been his um, his mule uh, in the course of the the hunt. Sam Fathers is another of these kind of um, natural men in the story. Another kind of embodiment of these these natural forces. Uh, he is um, the 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 children the child of uh of a slave and 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 an indian um and so uh in in that sense just in his his lineage um has has kind of stood on the uh the outskirts of the 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 civilized world around him and he lives um off in the woods and uh is a tremendous hunter has all the the proper instincts for a hunter he's actually the one under whose tutelage the the main character grows and, and learns and becomes uh, the hunter that he eventually becomes. Right. Uh, and so that's why uh, at the, at the point in the story when, when Sam fathers dies, the, the, the main character is, is completely distraught uh, at that, at that passing. Right. Um, like lion, Sam fathers is essentially out of place in the emerging civilized world the ability to track his ability to track and pathfind and take down game will become useless once those once that doomed wilderness is cleared and replaced by cul-de-sacs and highways right there's a as as i said sam is is the one who who serves as the kind of tutor to the main character teaching him how to to do all the things in the woods that he's capable of doing. And there's a scene in the story when the main character kills his, his, his first deer. When Sam reaches down, he takes the deer blood and, and smears it on his face. And this is obviously a kind of initiation, right? Um, a, a kind of rite of passage signifying that the young boy has attained those virtues that the older hunters have already attained and that he in some sense has kind of joined their, their company. But there's a profound irony to that scene here, right? It's the irony that runs through the story, which is that the narrator is coming of age according to a code that's disappearing. The story traces his increasing competence as a hunter, as a pathfinder, and as he proves himself to other men in these in these regards, the the, the climax of, of that 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 trajectory occurs um, at the point when when the, the character's name General Compson allows the main character to, to ride his mule, which is is known to be the only animal, the only riding animal, which will get close to Old Ben, right? And this is a sign that you know of, of General Compson's confidence in the young man that he'll he'll be able to kill old Ben if he gets close enough, right? It's, it's, it's a demonstration of his belief in his, his prowess as a hunter. So, so this young man's being inducted into the virtue, the virtues of the woods, even as the woods are disappearing. And yet those virtues don't simply disappear altogether. The human animal doesn't simply disappear. It still retains its, its kind of native composition. And I think this is what, what signified uh, with the the story's ending, which uh, the, the story ends with with another hunt, where 
uh, a number of the characters, the, the main character uh, included, head off to the woods, f- and escape the town, and head off to the woods for for another hunt. Uh, at this point, of course, old bear is uh, old Ben is is gone, but they're 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 hunting other things, including squirrels, like I, I had mentioned earlier. Um, so those those kind of those instincts and the virtues that are born out of those instincts uh, don't don't simply disappear, and they are what continue to give to human life in particular to to a man's life much of its meaning and its significant thickness i would say right and this is captured very very powerfully uh in the scene that i alluded to earlier when the main character kind of wants to stay out in the woods to hunt for a few more days rather than returning to town to go to school uh the other the other characters are haranguing him and telling him no 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 you have to to return to school including boone as i said um but general compson kind of speaks up and 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 you get a sense here he's the the one with the the most authority and he and he he says um no the the boy can the boy can stay here and continue to hunt and he he chastises the others for trying to um for trying to tame the young man for trying to make him fit all too readily into the emerging emerging bourgeois world that is 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 unquestionably going to mark the future he says he says to the others you've got one foot straddled into a farm and the other foot straddled into a bank you ain't even got a good handhold where this boy was already an old man long before you damn sartoruses and edmondsons invented farms and banks to keep yourselves from having to find out what this boy was born knowing and fearing too, maybe, but without being afraid. That could go 10 miles on a compass because he wanted to look at a bear. None of us had ever gotten near enough to put a bullet in and looked at the bear and came the 10 miles back on the compass in the dark. Maybe, by God, that's the why and the wherefore of farms and banks. And it's a, it's a it's a it's a powerful moment in the story, but but one which, um, which General Compson is invoking a sense that I think all of us who live in in what is now effectively a, almost kind of universally bourgeois society um, have the sense that that society does not give us the means to satisfy the longings associated with the realization of virtues like courage, like endurance, like resourcefulness, like those primitive and primordial masculine virtues that modern middle-class suburban and urban life simply does not provide the scope for the realization of those virtues. And there's something in us that longs for the the real for that realization, and so, in some ways, then in some way, we have to accommodate our nature to this this new frame of things, right? And so, one of the the, the kind of obvious ways um, that that we see all around us um, are are the the ways you know outdoor sports and um survival sports and and tests of uh, of endurance 
uh, of various kinds um, are incredibly popular, right? Um, even things like like martial arts uh, and and all these ways in which men in this in, in this very new frame of things try to keep lit the flame of the the, the longing for those 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 primitive virtues, right? And and that's that's one way in which we continue to to nourish those virtues and cultivate them. Another way I think is is pointed to us by the story itself, by the talk that constitutes the story, right? And I think this is why it's important here that Faulkner frames his story at the beginning as as a kind of talk, as a kind of discourse, as a kind of um, sharing of of legends uh, uh, about courage and endurance and resourcefulness because it's in storytelling and particularly in storytelling events of the past events which unfold in a world preceding our constricted bourgeois existence that we remind ourselves of what kind of creatures we are and we feel the flicker within us of those primitive virtues and and our longing for them once again. And so it's, as I said then, very important that Faulkner frames his story about the bear as a story to be told about men inhabiting a far different, far distant world with the very same nature with which we inhabit our present world. And he captures that, I think, very powerfully um, and very eloquently in a passage that that follows the, the death of Sam Fathers in which the young man is, is reflecting on all that, uh, that the older man had meant to him and, and reflecting on, on how, on, on the um, enduring legacy of that that significance um and so i want to end with that passage summer and fall and snow and wet and saprife spring in their ordered immortal sequence the deathless and immemorial phases of the mother who had shaped him if any had toward the man he almost was mother and father both to the old man born of a negro slave and a chickasaw chief who had been his spirit's father if any had whom he had revered and hearkened to, and loved, and lost, and grieved. And he would marry some day, and they too would own for their brief while that brief, unsubstanced glory, which inherently of itself cannot last, and hence why glory. And they would, might, carry even the remembrance of it into the time when flesh no longer talks to flesh, because memory at least does last. But still, the woods would be his mistress and his wife.